Hey, AGs, are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villarosa, OVS. Introducing Home Threads, where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic non-stick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered Home Threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to HomeThreads.com today and live your best Real Housewives life. Go to HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. HomeThreads, love where you live. extravaganza episode etc whatnot um it is saturday night it's actually technically sunday it is no joke 126 in the morning <laughs> and let me give you some background on this weekend so um I had a guest scheduled and as as happens um I had to reschedule the episode had another guest schedule as happens had to reschedule the episode and i was like you know what I was just going to skip until Tuesday, maybe a little bit, Um, but I don't want to do that because there's so much going on. And also, I mean, I die for a co-host moment, but I feel like I need to speak to you. The AGs, the people behind the people's people's couch, the people's people's behind the people's people's couch, because there's so much going on. There was 800 hours of Housewives first off. Um, it's too much. It's the too much tuna of housewives. I cannot take it. It is actually, I I don't know what to say there, except we cannot have four franchises on at the same time. Like it is, you know, there's the phrase an embarrassment of riches. And then there's just like, Ooh, no, which is how I feel at 1.30 in the morning about the fact that we had Miami. Oh, prestige. Orange County, adorable, a delight. Salt Lake City, wow. And New Jersey. And there's so much going on. And just to give a little uh, language lingo to um, folks about Satchels of Gold. So on AG episodes, I typically and always on social, I ask to um, get Satchels of Gold from you guys. And Satchels of Gold, named in honor of Her Holiness Kelly Kalor and Ben Simone, a la Scary Island, are your thoughts and feelings, questions, concerns, reactions to all things housewives through the lens of psychology or behavior, whatever you want, um, that you send to me by sliding into my DMs on Instagram at Dame Galley, or if you have a super long form thesis style satchel 
which I love, emailing me uh, at andysgirlsshow at gmail.com. And I typically do what I call satchel spectaculars on Patreon, where I'll do these like hour long episodes where I'm reading, deep diving, reacting to, responding your satchels of gold. And I thought, what better time for me to bring back some satchels to AG Classic, a taste of what the Patreon AGs get um, on the daily, but something that I love to do because I love hearing from you. And, you know, with this embarrassment of riches, a la Housewives, there's a lot to discuss. And the great thing about deep diving with a guest co-host, and if it's a new co-host or a return one, is as you know, we can spend an hour talking about a housewives, a scene, a moment. And that means that sometimes other franchises are talked about, you know, less than the ones that we're currently focused on, i.e. Beverly Hills, it was nearly impossible to focus on other franchises to me personally during BH because I was always honestly very curious about how my guests felt about the Erica of it all, the reaction of it all, the Sutton of it all. And when you have new guests or people joining the couch after several months, it's it is a long form conversation, but it also means that the focus is essentially uber focused. So I'm really excited to deep dive some of your satchels about I think all of the existing franchises and ones that I won't get to I will cover on Patreon. I do have to say though that there are moments in time, even if there are four franchises, where there is one show, it can just be a week to week change or not. Um, you guys know I've focused a lot of time on recent AG episodes talking about Salt Lake City because it's just such a shit show. Um, and there's a lot going on. Lisa Barlow is an icon, a superstar, um, a queen, has not sent me Vita te- tequila, but I'm waiting by the door. Um, you know, there's a lot to discuss because it is so heightened and because the stakes are absurd on the show versus dire IRL, um, that there's a lot to discuss. And sometimes my focus shifts week to week. Like there are weeks where I personally will want to talk about Miami, you know, for six hours. But when you're in conversation with the guest, a new guest, a return guest, it's it's a partnership. It's a vibe and it's stream of consciousness. You have no really idea um, you know, what is going to be discussed until you're in the middle of the conversation. So there are times where there are franchises that I personally would love to focus on for forever. And just due to the nature of podcasting and, and you know, all of the work and, and just kind of conversation that ebbs and flows that may or may not be um, addressed or brought up. And I have to say that of the four franchises, the franchise that stood out to me is the all-star episode of the week by far and I know that like Salt Lake I guess you know because it was just so wild but fuck it New Jersey are you kidding me um it, it is a conversation that will continue on the next episode of AG Classic because I do want to get uh, my next guest thoughts on Gia and there's so much going on but I just have to talk to you guys about it now because It was a wild journey. And I think that there were two people who stood out the most to me in the episode, perhaps unsurprisingly, and they were Gia and Jennifer um, for different reasons. But it was kind of one of those experiences of watching the episode and thinking like, wow, my opinion changed scene to scene because there was an extension of a conversation that I didn't expect with Gia and Zio, Zio Joe? Oh my God, I'm the worst pizza bagel. Apologies to Grandpa Reno Galley. Is it Zio? Is that (laughs) Uncle Italian? Ziti? I don't know, whatever it is. Uncle Joe, Uncle Joey Gorka. Um, you know, there was an extension to that conversation when Gia walked off and then walked back in that I thought was incredibly illuminating. It's one of those moments where it's kind of a reminder to all of us that even if you're really fucking pissed at someone, if there is trust or history, love, familial bond, whatever production behind it, 
there is a, a huge benefit in still attempting to express and explain your response and behavior um, if you feel like it will be heard or regardless of that, um, you know, it can do something. I think that's an incredible benefit. Uh, just in, even the idea that like there's a release that can happen when you express yourself and say, this is why I'm frustrated. And if you had a different idea of how I felt, I am going to essentially reintroduce the theory behind my feeling, um, which I thought was incredibly powerful. I mean, Gia is how old now? 2021, I think around 21. To see the way that she communicated to her uncle, understanding how upset and frustrated and pissed off she was, I thought was incredibly emotionally mature. And there's a way to have the conversation of Gia where we can say, you know, she's just trying to protect her father and that's it. She has her blinders on. And that's where I actually thought that her return to the conversation was so huge because it had, I shifted. I was one of those viewers watching the episode thinking this is just it. She's just, she's just defending her dad because it's, you know, he's her dad. And and I, I understand why, but um, she's not willing. She's in denial about what her father did. When she came back and was like, you don't think that he, that he doesn't understand that he sent my mother to jail. Using the phrase, he sent my mother to jail or sent my mother to prison, or I don't even think she was like, fuck camp, like, let's keep it 100. The fact that she acknowledged it, I know that seems so obvious to so many of us. And obviously, this is like five years since he, he's been back or since he went away, whenever it was. Um, but it's actually not obvious. You know, we're talking about Teresa's daughter here. And Tree is someone who we have seen wrap herself in denial like a comfort blanket. And to watch her daughter, who had to take on so much of the responsibility of being the oldest daughter and of being in many ways the primary caregiver when her mother was away at camp, and dealt with some anger toward her father for some of his behavior and drinking and um, his potential denial or self-loathing about his role in all of this. You know, there's a lot of pressure that's on Gia. There is that thing that happens when a child experiences trauma and you say to yourself, wow, they're really mature. And there's honestly a little bit of a sadness that's attached to it because obviously, she is one of four girls who have absolutely gone through very public and private traumas that have lasted years long. And she's also someone who wasn't really able to be a child, you know, to think about the stress and the burden that she took on to make sure that her siblings were okay and to have such a clear head about it, you know, she deserves you know, the applause of saying like the way that you're expressing yourself and your emotional maturity is great. But I also sort of think of the cost of that a little bit, like the flip side of it is that she has experienced much more um, than I would assume. And I'm sure her parents would have wanted her to experience at that age. And there comes a moment where it's like, wow, you're so grown up or, you know, you've essentially been forced into a position where you don't have the ability to fall apart like your father is. Like you feel the brunt of the responsibility and that can change a person, you know, like trauma ch can change your genetic coding. It can change your DNA. It can change the way that you are reacting to things. There is a physical, guttural, psychological response to um, specific or generalized incidents incidents of trauma and to look at what Gia has been through and the way that even her behavior on the episode was criticized it is kind of fascinating you know it's like there's the comparison from Gia to Brooks and the idea that you know like if Brooks Marks can get criticized so heavily for being a kid um, but in an almost like child but friend of role then you know Gia is getting confessional she has the right to be criticized and I get that but I also think like I don't know it's a tough situation she is technically yes absolutely an adult as Brooks is but they are adult children and when you think about the role of being a child I mean 
think about your own lives and moments if it was um, a parent some or someone in a parental role, a caregiver, um, a mentor, a, a relative, whomever it was, there are moments where yeah, you couldn't be technically 21 years old, but you are still in a relationship and in a structure if you have the benefit of having, you know, whoever was in that caregiver role still, you know, with us. Um, but there is the idea that it doesn't mean you're any less deserving of the reactions that you think you would get as someone who's still going through something, you still need your parents. You still need someone in your life to feel like they are protecting you. You know, it's like the idea that blood is thicker than water. And it's like, well, we're watching what happens on New Jersey. And that's not often always the case. You know, sometimes blood is thicker than water, but you're looking for some water to dilute the blood, you know, because there's so much that's going on. And I think in Gia's role, she's trying to really juggle the idea that she feels like she's the protector and defender of her father, but really more importantly, she's making sure that her siblings, that her sisters are protected because her parents didn't protect her siblings. Tree obviously is to me a absolute all-star kind of mom, you know, is obviously so devoted, but because of Joe's behavior, he took away Joe Judice, Judice Judice, took away the ability for Teresa to continue parenting her kids effectively. And that's like a layer of the trauma. Like you look at Teresa in the background of that scene and there is the impulse, as I felt, as others felt, of wanting Teresa to get involved. And then there is also the idea that like Teresa technically because of what happened, because she was taken away from her children, that trauma was, uh, it occurred and incurred. There is the idea that she literally was not there. She was away at camp, again, because of Joe. You know, mistakes happened. But there is, I think, my guess is the idea from Teresa of like, I want her to feel like she can use her voice. Because maybe it wasn't her. Maybe it wasn't the priority. Maybe Gia's priority was making sure her siblings were okay. And if she wants to express anger... I could get involved or I could say, you know what, she deserves to be angry right now. Like there is, you know, the hope that you would want to mediate to make sure that your brother, understanding their family history, to make sure that your brother and your daughter come back together. You know how important family is. You know, obviously, um, Tree and Joe's parents are a driving force to this day, the loss remains and the the bitterness, understandably deserved bitterness around the idea that both Tree and Joe lost beloved time with their beloved parents because of the stress put upon them because of Joe's, Judy J, Judy's, Judy J's behavior that, you know, broke apart their family and everything that happened since. Um, and I think of like Teresa's role in the background of the scene. And I just kind of, I have a lot of empathy for everyone who was there. And I also really appreciate and kind of understand and respect the anger that everyone there feels. Like there's Melissa saying, not coming from a place of anger, but trying to essentially translate Gia to Joe and saying like, listen, she doesn't want you to talk shit about her father. So just like, let it go. And then there's the idea of Gia saying it's not actually about the fact that I, I'm not saying he didn't do these terrible things, but I am saying that when you talk about your parents, they are still my grandparents. So it's like you have the right to say these things, but I also have the right to be offended by it because all of that criticism publicly done adds additional trauma like you don't you're not able to walk away from that kind of celebrity level ripple effect never ending trauma when it is in fact your family's livelihood we are watching Gia try to express to Joe the ways that him talking so poorly about her father affect her siblings 
And the fact that she needs them to move on, I'm sure also understanding that due to the nature of the work that those three adults are all in, Tree, Joe, and Melissa, that that might be really tough to get. You know, like she wasn't there at that weird fucking castle in Long Island when Joe's hairspray melted into the floor, but she surely knows about it. It's been referenced. And you can't necessarily bury a history of acrimonious relationships and incredibly difficult and dark points for that family. But you can also say, I cannot I cannot participate in this and I'm an unwilling participant. You are forcing me to continue to deal with this thing by talking about it. And I think that flipped a little bit of a switch with Joe, hopefully, certainly with Melissa, the understanding that she's not saying don't talk shit about my father because he doesn't deserve it. She's saying don't talk shit about my father because it's doing other people harm. And maybe it's doing her father harm too. And I think she has the right to defend her father's ability to make things right in the sense that he will be punished for the rest of his life. He lost his marriage. Wasn't that great? But like he truly, he lost his marriage. He uh, also had um, deaths of parents happening during this time, very, very close to Teresa's parents as well went away to federal prison and is not currently allowed to come back into the country. Like the idea that these children, their parents were taken away from them for that period of time. Joe is substantial. I mean, you know, any time I think is substantial, but for Tree almost a year, for Joe over three, right? Plus the time in, in ICE custody. And you just think to yourself, wow, that's actually still going on. How are you able to walk away from trauma when every day you have a dance recital or a prom or, you know, a family dinner that can't happen as a complete family because of this thing that your father did. There's still the idea that Gia wants to move on doesn't mean that she's actually even able to because Joe's not allowed back in the country. And guess who's hurt the most from that? The kids. So I think that when the siblings and Gia express frustration with Joe. Some of that is aimed at Joe. Some of it is deserved. And some of it is probably also anger at the idea that this thing just won't end. Like at what point are they going to be able to have the father that they grew up with? And again, difficult circumstances, you know, tough marriage. I'm sure there was a lot that was going on. Jacqueline referenced some stuff that happened but the idea that they're not actually allowed to move on and they didn't do anything wrong and I think that we have to listen to them when they express anger because it's their right to it's like the the very least that Joe could do is listen to his niece talk through her feelings because for a very long time there's a pretty high likelihood that she wasn't able to now I think that Tree or Gia have discussed, I think, some of the kids um, seeking therapeutic treatment and incredible. That's fabulous. It's fantastic. Incredibly necessary, I would say. Um, and it's great that um, I think at some point they were doing like family therapy with Teresa, but that could be completely wrong. But, you know, there is an avenue and an outlet, and it's difficult when you're going through this on reality TV. And it's also difficult because Joe has the right to express himself. This did also happen to him. This is the whole complicated journey of the fact that, yes, this is Gia's father. She wants to protect him, to protect her siblings, and also maybe to protect him a little bit and protect herself and say, I don't want to stay in this forever. It's just too much for me. Like they're all young people, young women, and to have to stay in this place, I would think is very difficult, but you don't want to do that without taking away Joe's voice too. It just so happens that when he expresses anger about his brother and he does so in a public forum or for professional reasons at a talk back, you know, his response can be, I could have said much worse. And they're thinking, I wish you wouldn't have said anything at all. And I think it's a tricky area for everybody involved. And it's 
you know, what Joe now does essentially full time is this show press stuff. Now they're doing this like Frank Sinatra impersonator tour that, you know, if they came to New York, I would be a thousand percent in. But I think it's a difficult circumstance. And I think it's something that um, they're still attempting to walk through. And it was also a reminder because, again, when I initially watched the episode, I was like, oh, they don't they're not allowing Joe to express himself. And when she came back in the scene, the glory of having a part two, it's a spiritual to be continued. Thank Christ that wasn't a part of it. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a moment of, of uh, understanding where something clicks, at least for me. And I really appreciated that scene. And I really appreciate, honestly, Gia's time on the show. Um, I think it's interesting to watch you know, the children of these housewives, there could be no better example of the complicated price paid for time on housewives for monetizing your life, your family's life, your journey and your story than in watching these kids grow up. You know, like Brianna has always been, I think, the gold standard for many of us of like a kid who's always had her head on her shoulders. Her mom is wild AF and was always kind of the voice of reason. And it's like Gia's the voice of reason, I think, in a different way. There's something else that's going on there that I think is really interesting and very grounded. And it's like, again, the conversation about the price of that groundedness, what's behind that. There's like the survivor aspect of it. And then there's also the aspect of like, she seems to be pretty emotionally mature. And um, I think did everyone a favor in, in saying, you know, I haven't spoken to you, Uncle um, ZD Joe, in six months, and I don't want to do that again. You know, she's paid the pr- her her goddamn song waking up in the morning. She has paid the price for for seeing the estrangement, the complicated um, punishment that can happen when the adults in the room are fighting. And to watch her grow up and grow through that and to see what she's making of herself, I think, is incredibly impactful. And um, not to be a downer, but it does make me a little nervous for whatever will happen with Louie and Tree because these girls deserve to see a healthy, stable partnership for at least one of their parents. I think it is a benefit to everyone Um to be able to be in that environment when you see your mom being respected and being treated as an equal partner. And I know that there are different, you know, um, aspects of that that can get kind of complicated, you know, from a traditional perspective, traditional Italian family perspective, that might not be Teresa's priority, but there are ways you can adjust that and humanize it and specify it. And I'm curious to see what will happen with Gia for the rest of the season. I think we're going to see a different kind of side to this. Maybe the side that we thought was going to happen or that I personally thought was going to happen next week with the trailer of Melania being like, go fuck yourself, ZD Joe. Like, I think we're going to see a little bit of that. And Melania is a different person, has the right to express herself. And we know she's always been truly daddy's little girl um, and was especially greatly, greatly affected by everything that happened. And I think it's interesting. It's interesting. And it's sad. It's sad that you can't tap. There are things that you can tap out of in life and maybe do so even in an unhealthy way to just deny. And it's tough to deny these things when page six is, you know, calling your mom. You know, we nobody can let the mouse go here. And the mouse is, a, you know, sometimes her dad is a rat. But, um, you know, I think the story continues. And then the other aspect of it of New Jersey, this show that I fucking love is Jennifer Aiden. <sighs> My goodness. I mean, there's a lot to unpack from this most recent episode. And Jennifer's reactions to things are, I think, somewhat befuddling to a lot of people. And yet in a weird way, I think that they make sense. Like Jennifer seems very confused about, or maybe not confused, maybe like misdirected, but trying, trying to say that speaking about 
Bill's very real infidelity is an attack on her children as she did at Dolores's like wildly perfectly executed um, lunch that food that food display was like iconic you know but she seems to think I think there's a lot going on there I think there is a sense of bewilderment and anger that people are talking about these things that are very personal to her but being done as a reference and callback to talking about her continued disingenuous behavior when it comes to calling out or characterizing, critiquing other people's infidelity or gossip. She doesn't seem willing to really take any responsibility for what she had done previously. And according to what, you know, I think it was Marge told Dolores what she's still or most recently still doing. And that's trying to find dirt and about if Evan did anything, anybody else. And you've got to think to yourself, why? Like, why is that happening? Why are we still doing this? When you realize and understand that when your cast members are being pretty passive aggressive and saying, I have receipts, I have tea about why you shouldn't be talking about this, why she would go so hard. And maybe it's as a direct response to that of like your the wheels are spinning you start to feel incredibly incredibly freaked out that this big dark secret that you didn't even tell relatives your parents your best friend is going to come out and so you need to do the very best to show that this other person's spouse is worse than yours like it's a co- it's a competition between you and your soul of like I never really reckoned with this because I found out he cheated on me, was having an affair, and then I literally gave birth and I had no source of income, uh, no professional skill set that we are understanding in terms of working in the workforce, like linked spiritual LinkedIn style, where she will be able to survive this. And also, does he even still want to love me anymore? And also, I'm sure dealing with the incredible hormonal fluctuations that can happen and can last after giving birth. Like all of that, I think, leads to a really difficult, complicated environment in which she decided or realized that she wasn't ever allowed to be angry about Bill's affair. There was too much on the line at that point. She was heavily pregnant, about to give birth, thought that she was in this happily ever after because she said it out loud many times, found out that in fact it was maybe hanging by a thread or wasn't as real as she thought it was or rather could go away at any second. And she realized that she wasn't in a position where she could be honest or wasn't comfortable being honest. But I think it's more that she felt like she couldn't be honest with people that she loved, maybe because... She thought it would put her marriage even more at risk and she couldn't risk people being mad at Bill. Like she couldn't risk maybe herself being mad at Bill. And so she went another way. Maybe the outlet for her expressing anger at her husband is trying to find shit about Evan and getting really mad at Marge because Marge, as Jen herself has said, has been incredibly open in her book, which Bill referenced as a way of trying to insult her, you know, in her book on the show has talked about her uh, marriage to Joe the Super and what happened with Jan and the effect that it had on her kids. You know, Jen's not quite as focused on like Jackie's children as she is her own when it comes to the secondary wave of trauma. I mean, if if this season is teaching us anything, it's like how and when the kids come up in conversation is fascinating. Fascinating. But, you know, there is the idea that like, where's the anger toward Marge coming from? Where's the disconnect here? How much of it is anger that this woman is allowed really is allowed to talk about these things openly 
and to not feel shame about them because she's been able to move through them. Or they happened as a way for her to, you know, leave a marriage. Maybe she wasn't feeling entirely fulfilled and she's happier now. Like, what happens when you didn't have that option available? What happens when you were the one who was cheated on, but that person is also sort of like cheating your spirit by not providing an environment where maybe you feel comfortable and safe talking about what happened with the people that you love. I don't entirely buy that that was a choice that Jen made for herself. I think it was one that she felt that Bill maybe subconsciously made on her behalf as well. Like maybe she felt like we're already in trouble, aka I'm already in trouble. I don't want to make this worse for our marriage and myself, like survivor complex style. Like I need to get through this and that means denying the reality. I don't know or just keeping it as quiet as humanly possible. And nothing good can happen from that. And I think we are seeing the waves of the reaction to it, the denial, the anger, I'm sure some rage about it come through. And I think Jen knows that. I think Jen knows that this isn't going to necessarily work out just in the sense of like, now that it's open and talked about, people are going to want to discuss this. And maybe Bill is going to be asked questions that his wife was never in a position to ask before. How interesting and ironic that in some of these relationship situations that are relatively traditional, you know, these women are on shows that are ostensibly all about conflict in some ways, you know, life behind the white picket fences and the gated communities and also, you know, how life isn't... um, you know, money doesn't buy happiness. Oh my God. And neither does debt. But, you know, there is the idea that these, some of, some of these women and the stories are obviously focused on them are focused on them. And maybe that's the first time that that's happened in their lives where like choices were made, things were established where maybe their husband really truly was their provider in every way. And maybe a part of what he was providing was like the emotional environment And maybe Jen didn't feel like she was in a position or there was too much to risk to even express the anger and rage that she felt about being cheated on. And guess who's going to be able to ask those questions that maybe she was not? Andrew motherfucking Cohen. Isn't that the irony of all of this? That like there will be a time in which some of these house husbands are held accountable but it's not necessarily led by their wives. It's like this is the interesting thing with being in some of these um, marital roles that feel traditional. I don't know if traditional is the right word, but I feel like it is, that are traditional in an environment that's anything but. Like how do you work that out? There's the you know conversation that a lot of people have of like joining housewives to get out of your marriage. Obviously, Jules is a big example of that. So many our big example, Simon and Tamara. We're watching that, I guess, right now with Dr. Jen and Ryan. We don't have enough time, guys. On a solo episode, we don't have enough time to work through changing the spelling of your name. And I have been told by um, some Patreon AGs on a Zoom that we had, shout out to all of you, that there are several stories circulating about why he changed the spelling of his name. That is the most interesting thing that Dr. Jen has brought to the table is the confounding nature of that um, uh, uh, decision made. But anyway, there is the idea that, you know, you're in environments where there's the conversation around this is providing an opportunity financially, emotionally, otherwise for these women to make a decision that maybe they felt like they weren't in a position before to maybe leave marriages, environments, lifestyles. There's that. And there's also the idea of like, what happens when you're fighting to keep your marriage and also to stay on the show? You know, like there are different ways that the show gives a bridge to women to be able to support themselves. And again, financially, emotionally, uh, from a celebrity perspective, the attention, the fame. And then also what happens when you still want that but you're also still in that traditional relationship. You're on a show that rewards you for being emotional and sharing your perspective. And maybe you go home at night and you're in a spot where, yeah, you share your emotion, you share your opinions, but like 
not about the really, really deep stuff, not necessarily like, and what happens when you get so dependent on housewives to give you that escape that maybe you don't even look for it at home? I think it's incredibly complicated. Like there hasn't been enough time, even though I've done 7,000 hours (laughs) talking about housewives behavior. I would love to do an episode specifically about the idea of marital roles, traditional marital roles, or just marital roles in general, and the absolute fluctuation in how they're expressed and realized on Housewives through a variety of generations and seasons and franchises, we're, we're coming back to it. And I also think that's kind of interesting when it comes to Salt Lake, because there's some weird fucking shit that's being talked about or not about Meredith and Jen and whomever, wherever, but I guess we're here in New York City, things are happening. And, you know, I'm curious again for Seth's reaction and Coach Shaw's, if they were both at the reunion. I don't remember if Coach Shaw was. Um, but, you know, it's infidelity goes both ways. Not to say that we're sure that that even took place, but it's going to be interesting to watch Andy ask questions at the reunion that maybe these spouses have asked in their private time, but possibly more likely not. Um, Listen, I said this was going to be a satchel spectacular of AG Classic, and it's just me shooting the shit. My favorite thing to do. I feel like I am literally speaking with you right now. Um, But I do want to get to your satchels and your thoughts. So guys, let's dive in. I have a satchel about New Jersey from Chad in Charlotte, North Carolina. And again, send me your satchels, your thoughts and feels by sliding into my DMs on Instagram at Dame Galley or sending me super long form theses. These Thesis I, thesis I, thesis I, um, by emailing the AG pod at show at gmail.com. But let's hear what Ch- Chad, Chad, what Chad has to say, Charlotte, North Carolina. Chad says, and by the way, justice for Chad's. Chad is a name that it's a limited series kind of name. It's, and I, I appreciate that. Chad, is Chad short for something? Chad Chaddington. Um, Okay, Chaddington in Charlotte, North Carolina says, I've got a satchel regarding the Jen and Marge feud. I find it strange that no one has brought up the obvious reason Jennifer has gone after Margaret since day one. And it's because Jennifer sees Margaret as the woman who almost ruined her and Bill's marriage. Oof, I'm getting the tingles from this. She has bottled up the affair for 10 plus years and clearly hasn't dealt with the trauma from the situation. You have Margaret, who has not made any secret regarding her affair and how it has led to the life she currently has. It's just an observation I've had since the premiere episode that I haven't seen anybody discuss so far, and I knew you would be the first to dive deeper into this theory. Huge fan of the show and love your opinion. Listen, Chattington, love you, boo-boo. I think that's a great point. When we think about all of the ideas of the anger and... I hate to use the word bitterness because it can be so gendered, but like the, the animosity, the um, pain through which Jennifer seems to be hyper-focused on Marge, that's such an interesting point to say that maybe subconsciously or otherwise she sees Margaret as the woman who almost ruined her and Bill's marriage. She only sees Marge or sees Marge first as the other woman and sees her as a symbol of that. And maybe PS from the perspective of Jennifer, who never felt like she was in a position to safely share Bill's um, adultery. And yet a lot of other people know, how do you think they found out? Is it possible that people were talking in the office with this pharmaceutical rep? Like absolutely a hundred percent. Is it possible that Bill you know, bought her some shit and some people found out and they started chatting? Absolutely, 100%. Is it also more likely possible that the person engaged in this relationship with Bill was also chatting? Absolutely. And I wonder how much of her anger about Marge speaking about the beginning of her relationship with um, Super Joe and about her childhood with her mother and everything that happened I wonder if there's an expression of uh, anger that Jennifer feels in the idea that much like maybe this other woman, 
Marge is the one who gets to tell the story and not the wife. Like it happened to Jennifer. This thing happened to Jennifer as a result of her husband's behavior. And we're not seeing that play out. And maybe Marge is just the easier target of that. And maybe she's also the reminder. Maybe she's the alarm. Like maybe when she sees and hears Marge talking about it. And also P.S. Marge being able to monetize as everyone does. She's not the first. She's like how many how there's a hundred and thousand fifty million bajillion wow great um but also entirely entirely real um that number was courtesy of Jen Shaw's accountant so thank them if you find out who they are and why they never existed uh but you know there is the idea that like Marge has been able to talk about this and have a storyline around it too like she and I don't mean this in any way as a critique but she has been able to monetize her life including the sort of darker deep private aspects as nearly every housewife does or tries to do and maybe Jen feels like my god like look at what she has able to she's been able to make happen and I don't get to do any of that like there's an idea that she's so open because she's an open person and she's also so open because that's her role on the show and also P.S. in her life And Jen is not in that position. And maybe Jen feels anger about, you know, how word on the street happened and people found out about this thing when she wasn't even able to discuss it. Maybe she feels anger at the idea that like, wow, you can also, you know, make that part of your shtick, shall we say, on Housewives is talking about this stuff and talking about it without a sense of shame. Jen feels seemingly very focused on your favorite word guys drink some seltzer if you hear it weaponizing shame against the other women using the idea of shame of trying to find these things and really focusing on the spouses focusing on marge's mom focusing on not necessarily things that the women have done although obviously with marge in what happened in her previous marriage that that is a part of it but like looking for the other people she's not she's trying to shame Jackie by looking for the truth, you know, in quote side eye about Evan. You know, there's something interesting there about the use and the weaponization of fame in how she views marital relationships and how she knows what could be a person's trigger because maybe it was used against her as well. Maybe she felt a lot of shame when she found out that a lot of people knew And it wasn't because she told them. And she didn't even have the benefit of being able to cash in with her soul by sharing this thing that hurt her terribly. Not with Bill, not with her mom, and not with her best friend. And um, I think it's fascinating. Chattington, thank you so much for sending that satchel. Listen, I got a couple other satchels that I need to get to. Um, Here's a satchel from Amy in Portland who says, in regards to this season of Orange County, Gina is to Heather what Brandy was to LVP. Let's take a moment. Let's digest. Let's keep going. LVP and Heather are deeply invested in their public personas as wealthy businesswomen who are accepted into an elite upper-class society as excellent party hosts, perfect mothers, etc. There are so many similarities in the way the two of them want us to view them, and they both work hard behind the scenes to produce the show and to control their image. Heather will threaten to sue you and use her money and status to shut you up, and LVP will leak stories about you to the press to harm your reputation. They both have a history of choosing friendships with people who are not on their level and who are enamored with their lifestyles. The kind of people who want to rub elbows and maybe elevate themselves in the process. Heather and LVP want sidekicks who will defend and support them. They love a yes woman. Gina is stepping into that role for Heather like Brandy did for LVP. That's such an interesting point. It's like the idea of the gratitude, the excitement of this woman who seemingly has it all, access to enormous wealth and 
power, cachet, celebrity standing on the show. You know, these are both number one on the call sheet style center housewives, regardless of even honestly where they pose. And they like you. They want to spend time with you. They invite you on trips that production may or may not have proposed. And that's nice. And it's like, well, how do I repay them? By supporting them and enjoying them and maybe not asking questions. Maybe I don't want to ask questions because I don't want to ask questions. Maybe I don't want to ask questions because I don't want to lose this thing that feels great where it's like, not only am I on this TV show, people are interested maybe in hearing my story, but like this person is interested in hearing my story, which in the environment of filming, which I would think would be somewhat claustrophobic in terms of like the constant with a specific and very small group of women and it's lightning in a bottle style stuff is constantly happening and it's probably often not great that here's the person who's the star of this who's like the success story and they want me to be a part of theirs now and being a part of it is supporting them and liking them and maybe you really do I'm sure that obviously Brandy did um and doesn't anymore and uh you know I, I think we're seeing um what's another term for mutual admiration society I think we're seeing a friendship happen with Heather and Gina. I think Heather is genuinely charmed by Gina. Gina is um, fascinated by Heather. But I would be curious to see what happens in a future season, hoping that they're both back. Um, And also, P.S. the superstars for me this season of Orange County, by far, are Gina and Emily. Love them. Love them to bits. Adore both of them separately and together. Can't get enough. Do not care. Absolutely love them. (laughs) Like, I totally get it. People who told me last season that, like, I asked people who watched the show how it was going, and they were like, oh, Gina's a superstar. And I thought, huh, interesting, interesting choice, interesting take. Now I 100% get it. But anyway, um, you know, what's going to happen when next season happens? And, you know, maybe their friendship will be closer than ever, and we'll see tension with other, you know, members of Gina's friend circle, also known as cast. Um Maybe we'll see a little bit of that play out or maybe we'll see Gina wants to, you know, use her voice in a way that isn't necessarily in a, you know, supporting chorus. Um, And maybe Gina has nothing to say to um, hold Heather to account. They're new friends. There's a lot going on. She may or may not agree with some of the things that Heather has done, but maybe she's less concerned about it than we think she could or should be, you know? It's going to be an interesting journey. And I really love Amy in Portland. I love that comparison because I think it's really fascinating. Like there is an exchange, a transaction taking place. And it's in the roles that both of these women are playing and in the power that is assumed and almost destined with the archetypes of LVP and and Heather Dubrow. But, um, you know, don't look at the other person in there and say they don't have anything to offer because you'd be surprised. Um, Okay, I have a Salt Lake City satchel from Hannah in Chicago who says, hey, hi, hello. (laughs) Do we, hi, Hannah in Chicago. Do we think that the reason Lisa stays loyal to Jen is because she knows how deep Jen will go to destroy other people? I feel like Heather mentioning that Jen keeps the dirt she has on Meredith quiet out of respect for Lisa answered so many questions I had about that trifecta of a relationship. Jen is keeping stuff quiet out of respect for Lisa. Lisa stays cordial and supports Jen to keep her out of her own business. Meredith distances herself from Jen and tries to maintain neutrality by focusing her attention to others in order to keep Jen from further digging into her life. Maybe? Who knows? Regardless, Whitney gleefully reporting back to Jen and Heather about how she confronted Meredith while she's emotionally distressed and in the throes of grief is gross and telling. Um, That's a really interesting and uh, great point, Um, Hannah in Chicago. And that's the moment in the scene was so interesting to me when they were in that bedroom because Jen nods when Heather says that, that essentially, you know, when Heather's like, you know, Lisa, you were actually protecting Meredith 
because had you not been her close friend, Jen would have gone after her. And we all know that she plays incredibly dirty. And Jen is just there essentially nodding and being like, yeah, like, yeah, there is some stuff and blah, blah, blah. This whole adultery under the breath whisper campaign, which I'm sure we'll get to at the reunion. But there is also the idea that like, what does that say about Jen? Heather says it in such a matter of fact way because everybody in the room knows that that's the truth. And yet this is the woman that you're defending, this woman who just got arrested by the feds because Meredith slid into their DMs, LOL. But this is the person that you're defending. You're trying to show Lisa what a good friend you are by talking about what a bad one everyone, including Jen, knows that she is. It is wild. And I would be curious if that comes at the reunion. I have literally no idea if it will, but I would be curious if it does. Um, And you know what I also want to know? It's a question that I don't know will ever be asked, but here's my number one question to Andy or whomever else. Like when you found out Mary was not going to be um, on the show, what questions were added that weren't previously discussed? Like I'm sure there are lists and things and discussion points that you feel like aren't going to make it. So how many of those got added back into the production schedule, you know, like their acts of filming the first act break, second act lunch, you know, whatever. How many of those were added back and how much of, you know, the spiraling and trying to figure stuff out, it's like a wild thing to have a housewife essentially no show. Um, or give, you know, very short notice, maybe day of notice. I would just be curious, like the wheels are spinning. What does that open up for you? What is the question that happened? Because you felt like maybe I would have a little bit more time or the thing that you really wanted to know, but you were like, oh my God, we're gonna have this whole thing because Mary's involved in so much. There's gonna be a lot directed to her, at her really. So what does that time now give me? You know, I'd be curious for that. And I would be curious for how much of those questions actually made it into the final edit. And I have asked this many times and I have been quickly, you know, rebuffed by everyone that I've spoken to um, on AG Classic, understandably so. I I honestly maybe agree with them more than myself. But like, I I do wonder if they're gonna, and if we'll ever know if they're gonna do an edit of the reunion since Jenny was fired. I am super curious about it. And I don't know if we'll ever get a response. Another question I have for Andrew, middle name Cohen, father of the delightful Prince of Bravo, baby Ben. Um, I do have another satchel that I think is really important because it was sent to me by an AG, Fahima in Beaumont, Texas, who wanted to talk a little bit about um, the uh, scene in Mary's church And she sent me an example of a tweet, uh, which is going on on Bravo Twitter, the thing I'm not on for mental health. Um, But she sent me an example of something and and expanded on it. So I'm going to read the tweet that she screenshot. So it was somebody saying in response to the scene with Mary getting, you know, oodles of praise and people were crying and talking about her style. Someone tweeted and said, what did I just see that wasn't a standard church service by a long shot? And another person responded and said it wasn't. It was a Mother's Day and pastor appreciation service as she is considered the church mother. It's common for black churches to make grand gestures to the church leadership during particular holidays. I'm sure it's a cultural shock if you haven't experienced, which was a cultural shock to me because I haven't experienced it. And Fahima went on to say, as someone who grew up in a black church, appreciation days on Mother's Day are extremely common. This was taken especially seriously in my church because our pastor did not have children of her own. I'm really sad that many people will not receive this context. I'm not religious now and haven't been to a church in many years, but I understand and respect this practice. There are many ways, many things you could say about organized religion and Christianity specifically, but an appreciation service is really pretty pure. How illuminating for me to see that because I thought what was going on was some sort of strategic way for Mary 
to sort of grasp back the idea of the good that she is doing in her church community following the revelations of rumors around her church and environment and understanding the women were talking about it on camera and asking her about it and everything else I thought that that was what was taking place was like her you know essentially making sure that this service would be one that would pay forward her good reputation, good standing in her own eyes, you know, and in the eyes of how the cameras capture um, another scene shot at, you know, her service and at her another service shot essentially um, by production at her church. And it was really interesting to hear that and hear that it's actually a very different kind of experience. And it's also like, man, I'm sure that production asked Mary questions about it in a confessional. How unfortunate that it was edited in such a way to support the narrative that this is wild and somewhat absurd, as Jen said in her confessionals, would have been great or helpful. And it's kind of like the ugh moment of understanding the ways that the edit is shown to have a little bit more information about what that moment was actually about in the historic context of it. Um, so I really appreciate that satchel coming in. You know the tag on uh, AG is normalize changing your mind based on new information. And I don't know that my mind was nest My mind was changed, I would say, about the intent absolutely behind that scene was absolutely changed. Um, you know, has my mind changed about any of the rumors around Mary? Um, not so much, but certainly uh, the production and the edit did not do her any favors by holding back information or not asking questions about it. Um, in such a way that would have provided a little bit of understanding, even in a moment between Jen and Mary of Mary explaining before or after, you know, this is a different kind of service today. I think that would have been incredibly helpful. Um, and maybe it was shown because it would have been, you know, like that's the shitty part of like, yeah, information would have been an added benefit. So let's make sure not to include it. But I think that's a conversation for another day. And guys, I have so many satchels I didn't get to. So I'm going to hop on over to Patreon and do a satchel spectacular that will be up uh, shortly and also have some other bonus episodes coming. Um, I want to get your thoughts on doing solo episodes. You guys know I die for conversation and I, I feed off energy. Um, but I do also love speaking directly. I feel like I'm speaking directly with you. Like I'm in the clothes, but I feel like I'm, you know, um, still deep in conversation, expanding on satchels that you guys have so beautifully written and sent in. And I'm curious, you know, do you want more solo episodes where I talk about Gia for six hours and um, three seconds about Miami? Um, spoiler alert, Miami is fantastic. Um, so if you're not watching it, go for it. And, you know, I've had some AGs reach out and say, you know, can I essentially just start with this, se- which, with this season? I know that you're you know, a fan of the classics and of, of starting from the beginning. And my response to that would be absolutely just watch this season. It's a great season. And if you want to understand more about like Larsa's big fucking change in personality, thank God. Um, and not even in personality, but in, in how she does her job, this go around. That's really interesting. And the Lisa understanding more about Lisa PS sidebar, Lenny hates her, right? Because my God, their scenes together are tough. That is the prime example of rough, tough stuff. Like, let's talk a little bit about that relationship. My God, that's another hour-long app. Um, so there's a lot going on there. So if you haven't started watching Miami, which is currently on Peacock, I don't, I don't um, totally pay attention to like when Peacock shows shows air on Bravo. But my assumption is that if Miami has not yet aired on Bravo, that it will. So if you don't have Peacock, um, I'm sure that much like Girls Trip, at some point Bravo will air it. And, you know, the women of Miami deserve their flowers because they're doing great work. Um, Guys, so you know all about satchels and the meaning behind it. Um, So please continue to send them to me. Slide into my DMs. Follow me on Instagram at Dame Galley. Join the Andy Scrolls Patreon. It's the uh, little engine that could keep this little little caboose running stuff engineering 
transportation, etc. Yada yada. Uh, Patreon.com slash Andy Scrolls. You get exclusive bonus episodes, invites to special events like the Galentine's Day Zoom Kinky that was held um, this weekend. That was so much goddamn fun. And yes, I did do a Clawfist tour. You know why? Because it was great. It was great. Um, so you get tons of info and it's the number one way uh, to support the pod so that I can keep doing these episodes. Solos, duets, trio, maybe throw a thruple in there. Have a good night. This was a total delight. This was a, this is what, you know, we're making magic happen. Unexpected, but hopefully in some ways enjoyable. I'm sure (laughs) regardless, you'll let me know. All right. Pray for, um, I don't know, literally all of the people in Salt Lake right now because, oh my God, what a storm. Talk about bad weather. Oh, what a season this has been. I uh, hope you're all doing okay. And I'll, uh, you know, chat with you soon. All right, guys. Bye.